everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for 2019. Imagine there is a stretch of land right out in front of you. In your, to your right is your architect. To your left is your utilities manager. You are taking the position of head planner and potential mayor of this, um, of this land in front of you because what you're going to be doing is you're you're going to be bringing in builders, you're going to be bringing in constructions and pipelines and and hopefully from that birthing ground you're going to grow your first city and you yourself are going to be almost like a a magnet building this first city. Now this may sound like a dream, this may sound like the one about me having potentially a halibut head like before, but this is not just a regime. This is a man's dream. And this man is James Naylor, and he's joining me from Naylor Games, and he's joining me to talk about Magnet, the first say, which sounds like it should have like a movie, you know, like Magnet, <laughs> the first city. So, um, hi, James. Hi, Richard. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here talking to you about the, the game that should clearly be a movie. That is my game. The game that should clearly be a movie that should clearly be a game, which you have to put that on the box. <laughs> now, that's your, t- that's your Kickstarter kind of, uh, kind of, I guess, kind of thing. You should put that in your URL for your Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Soon to be a major motion picture. That's, that's what I'll say. Uh, and then someone then, can make another game based on the film as well. It's like a different game, which could be about making the f- making the film about making the film about the movie and all the trials and tribulations that come with that. That would be potentially um, a disaster. Let's be honest. I mean, let's talk <laughs> about this game and let's not go down any other kind of rabbit holes because you know I'm just starting to embarrass myself. Um, <laughs> thanks. Thanks for coming on, first of all. It is an absolute pleasure to be here. Just, I'm quite excited. Um, for everybody else that's out there, the reason that we do this is quite simply because um, we're almost at, you know, we're almost approaching stupid numbers. I mean, I think 250 has come and gone and has fallen. Um, we're probably going to have done 300 in the next kind of two weeks or something. I just cannot be stopped. You know, I need some kind of intervention. Help me. If I'm going to talk to you on the podcast, tell me you're not allowed to, because apparently I'm, I'm doing too much. But the other reason that we're doing this is um, 
I have been aware of Magnet for some time. I've been aware of it through um, just speaking to James on Twitter. I've been aware of it through seeing it when it had Lego pieces at Tabletop Scotland and listening to James talk about it when he was on the Unlucky Frog podcast. And we have been kind of talking back and forward about when the ideal time would be to have a chat about the game. And it turns out that sometimes you just got to get stuff done. So that's why he's on here today oh. to get this done. One hundred percent. Well, we had to, we had to have the chat eventually, didn't we? Come on, it was the, the tension was building. <laughs> it was almost like there was gentle podcast flirting going on, and it was like, oh, do you want to cover? I don't know. I don't know. Do you want to cover? I'm not sure. I'm a bit shy. Come on, come on the show. Come on, it'll be fine. Oh, I don't know. Can we put it off a month? And then, and then <laughs> oh no, I've got to go to Essen. Oh no, I've got to go to UK Games Expo. Oh no, I've got to go here. Oh yeah, no, Richard, Christmas you, is coming up. You know me, Richard. I only want to do things when I'm ready. We're absolutely ready to go. Exactly. That's the thing. Exactly. Uh, we're, we're focused. We're ready to go. We are kind of like uh, the Fast and Furious. We're ready to take <laughs> that drive into the development city. I don't know. We're just going off on a tangent. Um, as always, we like to find out a little bit about your past. So we want to look at the... I've got. I've practised. I want to have a look at the foundations of the past. Fantastic. I want to I'm, have I'm a look loving at these, the, these property metaphors are absolutely fantastic. I want to have I'm, to I'm enjoying them all. I want to have a look at the building bricks of the present before we look at the white picket fence <laughs> of the future. I mean, this is this is excellent. This is excellent work. <laughs> so do, you want to, do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got in the hobby? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've been really interested in board games probably for about uh, ten or eleven years. Um, it was at it was at university that I I got really interested in them, and uh, was you know the, the classic route in playing lots of mainstream games as like a child and inventing board games where you uh, by default roll a dice and move around a board. Uh, and then uh, as a at university discovering, you know, things like Carcassonne, Ticket to Ride, and then uh, slightly kind of harder stuff. And and probably the, the kind of moment when I really knew that I loved board games is when I bought a copy from a uh, of uh, Railroad Tycoon, as it was known then, and now known as Railways of the World from Eagle Games, uh, that in a, in, a, in a gorgeous little um, local game store in Oxford. And when I bought that game and played it, I just loved it so much. And that was kind of the point for me when I knew that just board games were going to be going to be a big thing for me. Did you build up quite a big collection? Did, I mean. I mean, you didn't have a break at university, so you went all the way through. Kind of playing was there clubs at the university or college you kind of went to then? Do, do you know it's actually more? It was actually more that I had um, quite a good circle of friends who were all into getting into games at the same kind of time. Uh, I had a particular yeah. friend, Ed, who was really into games and already knew quite a bit about them. And he would often uh -huh. introduce us to lots of games. And he was great for like the whole group of us. We would play things regularly, and so it was kind of. I, I felt like it. It now I look back at it and it may just be very biased way of looking at it, but it seemed like it was it was quite a crucial time when lots of those classics had only just come out. So I think about things yeah. now like uh like 
really big names like well, like Ticket to Ride or like Brass as well amongst the heavier games, which were literally very new then. And so there was this real like emergence of these games that were not just the sort of the, that first wave of games that sort of coming out of Germany from the sort of nineties and early noughties, but were like this next wave of designers. Often there were like UK designers or American designers who were starting to release stuff that was almost like a bit like a response to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was just lucky that there were a lot of individual people around and we sort of very informally played. Um, I actually don't think there was a, um, a board game society as far as I knew it then. Uh, I believe there were, there were like war game societies because I think, you know, trading yeah. card games and things were a big thing already, but not yeah. board games in the same way that we expect that today. No, I remember there being a Dungeons and Dragons kind of um, society when I was at university, but I think um, they were really just a little bit too serious for me. They were oh, really, yeah. they really wanted to roll that dice, and they really wanted. To, I think I've said this before. They kind of wanted you to roll the dice no matter what you were doing. Do you know what I mean? It's like a yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm just gonna go, just nip to the toilet. <laughs> I'm gonna go to the bar just for another. Pipe. Oh, if you could roll a roll a constitution check, I'm I'm going. <laughs> um, Let's see, see what gonna, you oh, Yeah, God, you wouldn't want to die roll. alone. <laughs> you, you wouldn't you wouldn't want to roll a one would you when you were when you were going to the toilet that would be well, so uh... occasionally i have rolled a two um you know sometimes i, I find that a, a, a natural one does actually there's a natural two that falls <laughs> straight after it and 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 now we just entered into the explicit rating on itunes by does he do that because you can say what you want but you know what i mean Mention a little bit of poo poo, and that's it. You're daring me. You're going to what hell. have we done? You're what have we done? Hell. Did you, um, did that allow you to get you into kind of like forming like a, a larger collection? I mean, people talk Catan and people talk Carcassonne, but do you have a copy of Catan and do you have a copy of Carcassonne? So, I actually I do have a copy of Carcassonne. Um, and I do actually still play it regularly. In fact, the one that I play is the is actually the Hunters and Gatherers one, um, which I think is really good because it's got elements from the expansions of the original mm-hmm. Carcassonne, but it's kind of condensed into one game rather than being yeah. like many expansions. And I, I think I really like that. Um, but no, I'm a huge fan of games in that kind of category because what I find is that it's kind of enduring classics like that that I'm still finding are like really effective games for getting other people into it. I mean, I'm because I'm I'm on a mission to get as many people into board games as possible. Like I'm always trying to pitch board games to my to my friends and grow that group of people who are interested. And although you know there's so many amazing games coming out now, and it's almost like an avalanche of them, um, the kind of number of games that are coming out that make truly exceptional gateways, you know, is is still a very slim kind of like part of that group of even that that kind of bit that avalanche so for me i, I play those games and i i, I still think they're great because uh, they're, they're true classics do you think that's why when something like say like the mind comes along and you get a whole raft of people kind of grasping it and, mm. and and want to play it that um it kind of takes off because there still is very much an appetite for kind of like the gateway games, which is maybe why if I go into Tesco's, I see um, like ex- exploding kittens on the shelf, mm. and I see Risk on the shelf, and I see Dobble on the shelf, but I still don't see some of the you know I still don't see some of the, the what you would call the bigger 
the bigger, bigger games. I can't ever see there being like a copy of Gloomhaven on a Tesco shelf because it's a big commitment and it is like a big chunky sandwich of a game to kind of get yourself into. But I think there are, I think you're right. I think there are a lot of people that like yourself that are, you know, strong advocates of playing board games, but you need the kind of the tools to be able to do it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that one, 100%. I think that the, there is a very strong reason why those kind of, you, you will probably never see a Gloomhaven on the shelf of WH Smith. Like, uh, mm-hmm. because um, it, it's a game which is an exceptional game. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's incredibly highly rated for lots of very good reasons. But mm-hmm. my first experience of it, I tried to play it in a board game cafe. And if you do that, that gives you a real sense of just like what obstacles there are for people who are not already gamers to get into that. It took sort of two hours to set up and disentangle yeah. from obviously components within that just to get going. It took an hour to get a head around the rules enough to get going. And then we obviously yeah. got defeated on the first time, the first time we played. And I was thinking like, again, I, I could see it as we were playing it. Like where well, I could imagine you put the time investment into this, you could get a huge amount out, but actually it's never going to convert like vast armies of people into thinking board games are great. And it's never going to be that kind of uh, low kind of entry point game. And, and and really, when to see things particularly in the UK on like in, in, a, in a mass market store shelves, it's it's got to be something that's quite accessible. Um, it, and I think that will probably always be the case. Um, and and that isn't that isn't to say there's anything wrong with making games that have the kind of ambition of something like Gloomhaven. I mean, for me ambition in game design is a really really important thing that always draws me in. yes yes but yeah but but that that i think it's always going to be that way that games that are that can be picked up relatively easy easily using kind of familiar concepts um are going to be the ones that that bring in a lot more people into the hobby what um what made you decide kind of designing have you always been a bit hands-on with stuff i mean as you mentioned you know you've always kind of you know, made a little bit of simple stuff when you were younger. I mean, have you always yeah. kind of been tinkering away? Did you take kind of like your copy of Carcassonne and kind of make additional rules for it? Have you always had like a little white pad and paper that you've been, you know, kind of drawing stuff on or had ideas? Oh, definitely. I mean, I think, for, I mean, I remember at school and um, I would do loads of things like, yeah, I'd create board games. I tried to create my own pen and paper role-playing rule set as well was one of the things I, mm-hmm. I did. Um, <laughs> I've always been uh, really interested in, in making games of kind of all kinds. So it's like a very natural thing for me. I think in general, actually, some it would be true to say that almost every medium that I enjoy, I always try and have a go at making myself. So um, when I think about uh, writing, that's something I'm interest, interested as well. It, it always seemed very natural that if you enjoy reading that you should kind of enjoy some kind of writing. And at the same time, I, I, I've had the same thing with filmmaking as well. I really into filmmaking at university. Uh, I enjoyed film, so I thought, oh, I enjoy this medium, therefore I should I should try and make something in it. And it's always been quite a natural a natural thing for me. And obviously, you go through exploration and you learn at different points. Actually, uh, you, maybe I'm not quite cut out for doing things in that medium. I don't have quite the right skill set or the natural talent for it. But um, so that's been a kind of normal process for me, I guess, in many ways. Um, and now with and with games, what I found is is that it it kind of unifies quite a lot of my interests and skills yeah. and so i feel like yeah. it's what i'm doing now is i'm almost better better prepared for that than maybe anything else i've tried 
What would a what would a James Naylor film look like then? I mean, when you were back wanting to create films, what kind of things were you kind of wanted to do? I mean, would you had your did you have your bank heist kind of movie? Were you the kind of junior comedy? I mean, what kind of thing had you were you like wanting to be the next kind of sci fi kind of person? I mean, so what I, was it you were? Uh, so I, I I kid you not. I, I started with um, an adaptation of Virgil's Aeneid that I wrote a feature-length screenplay for. Um, <laughs> in, 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 <laughs> in, in two parts, no less. Uh, and so you're then, the original Peter Jackson then? Basically. Yeah, I, I, I was just like, I was like, oh, I'm going to start out this filmmaking thing. What I'm going to do is do, uh, is do an adaptation of a Roman epic poem, because, you know, why not? Um, and the next thing I did was that I then planned out, I didn't write the screenplay for, I should point out, was I planned out was an adaptation of Paradise Lost. Um, wow. So <laughs> I went straight in for, like, the big visuals, just, like, straight up. You know, that, that, was, my, that was my kind of approach to that. So... Uh, <laughs> Um, so, and I, and I, and I was, I think I was at least semi-realistic in the fact that I knew that these screenplays, there was a very good chance they would never be produced and, uh, that I would, um, <laughs> I would, I would probably have to start work on actually some smaller, more slightly less ridiculously ambitious, uh, <laughs> subject matters to begin with, but, but those so you're not going to jump in the shark here. You're kind of turning around and punching it on the nose as you go get it past. Absolutely, I'm punching, and then, and then maybe performing a dance routine with the shark as well. I don't know, like <laughs> something, something like that. Um, so yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, Did you, I mean? Have you kept that? I mean, is I was just wondering now if, like, if you had kind of been born five, ten years later, if you would have actually tried to film it, because there's a big, you know. YouTube being a YouTuber type thing is a th- is a is a is an actual thing nowadays, and actually, camera decent kind of camera equipment isn't horrifically expensive to get kind of like a decent picture nowadays. So, wondering maybe you are, you know, if you were born a little bit later, you would have been maybe there would be some kind of eighteen million part YouTube epic about <laughs> there. Uh, I. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I think may, maybe I think that's possible. That I would have done that. I mean, I, I ended up m- making quite a few short films anyway, um, and actually right. sort of learned a bit more about about you know doing how 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 does it, how to write a proper screenplay, how to direct. I got to work with some professional actors as well, some of whom were really good. Um, so yeah. they, they were they were real experienced talents that I was you know feel very flattered to work with. So um, as as a result, um, I actually got a chance to try it. And actually, what I learned was was that the whole producing side of it was actually something that I found really tiring and I didn't enjoy. And I became sort of less, I also began to question whether or not being a director was something I really wanted to do. I'd kind of always, I'd had a strong idea that like, right, I'm going to be a writer director, you know, the whole author yeah. track that really appeals to me. I can write these absurd screenplays and then I can, I can film them myself. Uh, and, uh, and I actually decided that maybe that directing wasn't quite for me. I had a couple of experiences where I had a couple of projects that took huge amounts of time. And by the end of them, I was quite dissatisfied with, and I thought, you know what, maybe this isn't quite, maybe right now, anyway, this isn't quite right for me. So I, I kind of had my shot in some ways, but, um, mm. but actually felt like maybe that wasn't quite the right art form for me. Do you go quite kind of all in when you're interested in 
like a hobby or an interest? Are you, are you the type of person that would go in and kind of research something and then find out everything that you possibly could before you kind of jump in? Do you almost like envelop yourself? Yeah, um, I, yeah, I would say so. I mean, I, I'm probably someone who prefers to do a bit, just a bit of research and then get going straight away to start learning things hands on. And I and I yeah. and I certainly feel that. Everything time I approach a project, I approach it with a with a fairly all or nothing attitude. So um, you know, it, it's quite funny right now because I've been going through, for example, things like around some of the manufacturing details and uh, getting details back from Chinese factories, for example, for for Magnate. And what's really interesting about that is that now I'm like hitting all of the, because it's got a lot of components. So I'm hitting it going, wow, this is just, there's just so much here. Why didn't I just make a damn card game? This would have been, <laughs> why, 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 why like 80 realistic buildings? What are you doing um, uh, at that point? But actually, I've always found my natural inclination is to go, right, I'm going to do this. Let's do it properly. I had, yeah. I had this idea for a game and I was like, right, well, it, this is the, this is the game. And if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it really well. And it's got to be something where I would see that alongside, uh, you know, the, some of the best produced maybe Asmodee titles. And I would go, that easily competes with that. And that, have you that. been, I mean, was there, is there other games that you've made? Was there other games that you have kind of almost got to the same point that you did with Magnet? Or, I mean, is this kind of like the first real kind of stab that you've had at creating something? Uh, there's quite a lot of different game designs I've worked on before, which I've kind of myself rejected because I felt like, or at least put on the back burner at different times because they weren't ready to be taken further forward. So um, mm -hmm. I've got quite a few different kind of concepts that I've been that I've been working on and some things that have been actually taken as far as prototypes that I've played with people. But my approach has been if... I don't feel like it's something which could be commercially viable or I don't feel like how to make it something that's just kind of good or interesting to make it into something great. I have deliberately not taken them as far forward in terms of production. Um, even with Magnate, my whole approach was for a long time was just like, you know, play test that as much as I can, that paper prototype with Lego buildings to death, you know, before mm -hmm. before making any real investments in, in artwork or anything like that, because I wanted to be really sure that it would be something that I felt this has got real long-term potential um, than, than doing that. So I've got, uh, there is actually a card game I'm working on at the moment, um, which um, would be a lot quicker to, to, to develop, which is appealing. <laughs> um, and, um, and I'm applying some of the lessons I've learned on Magnate too. Uh, I've got uh, a few other bigger kind of, you know, economic games are quite, quite a, a really area of interest for me. So there's quite a few yeah. other ones that, and I've got one that's, I've got one that I'm kind of working on, which I think is quite interesting, which is going to be a kind of co-op economic game where you run a software startup as a group which I think oh, could be okay. quite, quite, quite interesting and un, un unusual, uh, like a subject matter that both fits in a quite a nice event of unusual in the sense I've not seen many game titles do it, but it's actually a very, a very accessible theme that quite a lot of people are interested in as a subject matter. So um, that that's something which, uh, for example, I'm, that I'm working on, but would but will definitely have benefited from lots of stuff that I'm learning on Magnate. Um, uh, I've got a card game that's going to be more like the card game. It's going to be more, more like a deck builder. And then, um, yeah, and then, I'll, and then you know, because I can't resist designing, I've designed a few different different things like um, Dominion, mini Dominion expansions and that kind of thing. Um, but but um, the kind of fan stuff. But, but like I say, I'm a big believer in only really putting like 
because taking a board game, finishing a pub, self-publishing a board game, taking it all the way from initial inception to a really nice, finely produced product is a truly mountainous, frightening amount of work. And it's just feel like it's no point putting that work in unless you believe that it's got that design has got to that point where you're thinking this can kick ass. I, uh, I always, um, I always find that's a massive thing, a massive chunk that gets missed out in a Kickstarter. Mm. I always think it's a huge, huge, huge thing. Um, that gets missed out on a Kickstarter is how long it's actually taken. Because usually it's yeah. a case of when you're generating your Kickstarter page, it's all about this is our product, this is why it's brilliant, this is why you should consider backing. This is, you know, this is the gameplay, here's the graphics, here's the funding goal, here's the stretch goal. And I don't really I think sometimes there's I mean this is just me, but I think Sometimes you miss out on the human element behind mm. the person, which is why I, I mean, I'll be honest, it's why I do what I do. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I had Elizabeth Hargrave on who's done Wingspan. You can search that pop, that episode for the entire hour that she was on. We don't talk about the gameplay for Wingspan at all. Yeah. Not yeah, one interesting. bit. Yeah. Um, because, and I think sometimes it's something that's maybe missed out on it. It's when I had Eric Rail on, I think what he's doing with the board game designer movie is is a really interesting thing because I think there's a lot of stories which, you know, from you I mean, in terms of time scales, how long has it taken from the first idea for Magnet for you to even get to where you are? How I mean how long has that been now, James? So, uh in fact I wrote the very first version of the rule book in October twenty eleven. So from its very initial inception, you're talking about eight years before the, the product is finally delivered. And, um, you know, it, it wouldn't be remotely accurate me to say that in those first few years, may, maybe even the first four to five years, that there was like yeah. a vast amount of development work going on. It was mostly occasional. I would come back to every so often. You know, the play tests were very infrequent. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a period where it was like intensive work going on, but it was like no. gestating and improving slightly in that whole period of time. And then, and then has been in like more sort of hardcore development since really early, late 2016, early 2017. Um, yeah, I mean, if, I mean, if, yeah. if I look at like some campaigns just now, um, I don't really see anything about the time that it's taken or what the work mm -hmm. that we've put in or, or or how much effort it's taken and that's kind of all always kind of strange to me as I say which is why we kind of we always try and cover it and I think there's a about off and a, about us and I think there's kind of like risks and rewards yeah um, yeah but I don't usually see kind of a, a reason as to why why us and 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 why we've been doing why we've been kind of doing it Do you know um yeah, sorry. I was just going to say nope. something on that, which is just that I think it would be really interesting to compare what those Kickstarter campaigns for board games, or in in, in most lots of that, and certainly for, well, let's say for board games, what they maybe looked like seven or eight years ago. Because my, um, what, it wouldn't surprise me to find that maybe there used to be more of that stuff. But I actually think what's really interesting is as information has improved for creators about how to run a Kickstarter campaign, it does feel mm -hmm. like the Kickstarter campaigns have become a lot more standardized in terms of like layout. You know, there's like, you know, because 
someone like Jamie Stegmaier has just done such incredible work in terms of cataloging how he achieved the success he did and all the very sensible decisions he made that there is this sort of thing where people take that kind of stuff or James Mathers type stuff and it's like right we replicate that and it gets boiled down to being like um, this really deliberately, I mean, really effective, optimized way of presenting information that it doesn't yes. have quite that same feel of like, oh, here's just, you know, we're this, we're this crazy bunch of people who've got this idea to do something and we believe very strongly and this is a bit about us in the background, how we're going to make this happen. And it becomes this more professionalized thing. So I, I wonder if that that's a big part of that. But again, I, I haven't actually sampled lots of older campaigns. I've only seen a few examples where they seem that little bit more amateurish, but in a, in a kind of charming way, but but not as professionalized as they are perhaps today. Yeah, like our one. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I, that's why I would say charming, right? That's It's charming. It's not. Yeah, um, okay. But, but, okay. Um, uh, <laughs> but, okay. but, 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 but right, it's, but it's also it's also has this wonderful realness to it. So I think there's a it's an interesting one. I I, I think because I can see why people why I do it, and I, I probably will find that when we come to actually do the Kickstarter page, which is almost which is very downstream of the kind of product process that I'm still on at the moment. Um, yeah. I suspect you know we will follow those same kind of op ruthlessly optimized approach, just because if that's what drives overall more conversion, exactly. it makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, why? Why a city game? Why something that could be considered to be quite dry? I mean, this is essentially, you know, some people could argue it's the it's the second cousin of Monopoly. It's yeah. gone away and and kind of, you know, <laughs> went went away, went to went to school, went to college. You know, had that difficult kind of finding itself. You know came back and went, hey, look at me. I mean, what made you decide kind of this is this is the direction I want to go in? Yeah. I was going to say, I think I like that analogy because the so way I'd see it is, is that if we take that person as that second cousin, they kind of, they don't know what they're doing for a bit. They go away, have to find themselves. And mm -hmm. eventually they come back and they find their calling. And then they're actually mm -hmm. wildly successful. And that's kind of what I, I, I and, and that's what I wanted to try to achieve with Magnate. And I, I can't guarantee if I can do it. But um, really what inspired me to do it was that um, I had this strong belief, and it, I still have this very strong belief, that doing a really, really good property game is something that could become really successful that a lot of people could be really interested in. Because if if we come back to that, what we were saying earlier, I guess for me, I'm really interested in doing games that have quite accessible themes, that have yes. games which could become one day among those kind of evergreen titles that are consistently people keep coming back to, and that's really kind of what what I want to do are games that are like that that that, that bring more people into it, and. I've always looked at Monopoly and gone, yeah, that game sucks for all sorts of reasons. Like it's 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 so long, it has this horrible zero sum logic to it. It was uh, you know, it, it's utterly brutal. It it make people people, you know, they have arguments. And yet what I also see is how many people go, oh, maybe we could still play a game of Monopoly. Like they don't like they don't learn, right? Like every time they play, it's like it's awful. But because as children, they were brought up with it and there's something so enticing about it, this whole idea of, you know, you're making money, you're building things, you know, it's, it is partly itself a building game. Um, there's that enduring appeal is there that the kind of the dream of what it could be is still there, even though 
the reality of the game is one that you know were to compare to any modern design at all and you would find it lacking in almost every way yeah i mean um the only one i've seen kind of like i've really enjoyed recently was i really enjoyed monopoly gamer i've actually not tried that Uh, it's good it's it's really good fun because it uses the mario ip um i've talked to talked about this before it's simple to play it's simple to set up you've got a finite number of times around the board um you know you're kind of kind of collecting kind of areas but it's 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 a nice it's a nice little game but there is the familiarity i mean it has become like the kind of the joke it's kind of like everybody i don't know is it kind of like having an egg whisk in your drawer it's like most people have got an egg whisk in your drawer (laughs) and you've got an egg whisk at the drawer because one day you dream you're going to make the best omelet in the world (laughs) but you know it's a kind of like a it's a kind of like a well mum had a egg whisk and i remember her mum had an egg whisk and you know, everybody likes to gather around Christmas and we all talk about, you know, sometimes we make eggnog and we use the egg <laughs> we use the egg, egg whisk for that. But it's kind of this familiarity thing. I mean, you can't argue with Monopoly keeps... I mean, you've got Fallout 7, you've got Fallout games for no Monopoly coming out. Yeah. You know, there was the Monopoly Cheaters version. It's not like they're not trying to emulate. There was the, Milop- the Monopoly Millennials version, which should have probably been gathered together and put in a fire. Um, but... You know, it, it 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 does seem to be kind of there. And do you know what? In all fairness, James, I've not seen a a, a successor to it. Now I may be wrong. I'm probably you know Twitter. Please come along and correct me <laughs> for all the multitude of mistakes. If I was doing that, I'd be added until I was seventy. But anyway, I've not. But in all seriousness, I've not seen the basic build up your get your land, build up your property, stick your buildings on top, earn your money from it. I've not seen it. I've seen SimCity. I've seen a lot of simulation games. And the problem with SimCity is it was a fantastic app until they decided to go down the free-to-play route. Yeah. And then they just kind of ruined it. But in all honesty, I'm not... I've I've seen... Um, I mean, there are... I've not seen kind of something like this, I guess. I've not seen something that kind of ties ties it back to Monopoly, but in a kind of a good way. And it was interesting. And I remember seeing it at Tabletop Scotland and you had kind of like the board and you had the little Lego buildings at the time. Oh, and yeah, it was very, yeah. very tactile. It's very, very tactile. It's yeah. a very, very tactile game. This has got components that um, when you look at them, you want to pick them up oh, yeah. and play about with them. You know, that that's what it was. You actually wanted to you could you it'd be something you would fidget with. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't kind of you wouldn't if you had to play the minis game. You wouldn't have your miniatures off to the side and be fiddling away with them. But I could imagine you having your set of buildings at the side of the game. You just idly like picking them up because they're solid kind of yeah. pieces, and you're just kind of mucking about your little bulldozers. Kind of you're kind of mucking around with that or whatever. I can imagine you kind of just it just being one of those games kind of thing, and that's kind of the impression that I got. And it was very very striking on the board and there's very few games that you see kind of like dice forge is one of them visually visually beautiful yeah. striking kind of using the box to its full potential i mentioned ever everdale quite recently um oh yeah mice, oh, uh, my mice and mystics as well i've spoken you know that episode 
should be out with Jerry Hawthorne when I talk about mice and mystics and the architecture and everything that they use and that is very very kind of and and this is what it kind of you know this is not me saying that I am endorsing um magnet at all I'm just saying my impression of it was it was a kind of a game that I I reckon people would kind of get it yeah. as well you look at the table, you kind of know exactly what you're dealing with. You're going to be building buildings. You kind of know what you're dealing with here. I know that I'm going to be controlling some of the board. It, it's, it's. I know that, you know, that kind of thing. It, correct me, obviously, if I'm wrong, because I'm... No, 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 that's great. No, I mean, I, I honestly, that's, that's, it's actually, it's actually quite wonderful to hear you say that because that's, that's exactly what I think about it. Like when I, when part of my motivation for, for designing it is, is, is that, that it's, I wanted to do something where it would have, the, a very clearly intuitively w- what the game is about from the moment you see it so you, you look at it and you can understand what that game is straight away mm-hmm. and actually it is you're right about it, it's sort of presence on the table and and, and even from a distance obviously it's, it has a lot of impact one of the interesting things whenever we demo it anywhere is that it's so appealing to children so um immediately you just find every everywhere we've demoed it and we've showed it off Children come along and immediately want to play it. I, I remember there was a moment at Tabletop Scotland where um, uh, a family came along and they said, uh, and the dad said to these kids, he said, "Right, he was. We were at the playtest area, and everyone has obviously everything's black and white generally, and everyone's got maybe a few cards and some old old Magic the Gathering sleeves and that kind of stuff." And he goes, "Which game would you like to play?" And they immediately just all pointed at Magnate because, like, obviously, in terms of the, the visual appeal with the buildings, was just so straightforward. And well, you used you know, cheated. You used Lego. I, I mean, let's I, face I, it. I, it was, I, I mean, you did, I did cheat. cheat. I mean, it was Lego. I mean, if I, you know, <laughs> I could put any kids in front of you, but it was like, I mean, you know, you can get a little bit of kind of praise for this, James. But it was Lego. <laughs> I'm just saying. But, but. But, but, but no, you're quite right. I mean, I did cheat a bit with Lego. Let's be completely honest. But also at the same time, we found the same thing since with with the actual resin buildings that we're currently using in the prototype. So um, that that same kind of impact because you said there's something about you can just you. I think that was really really interesting when you and very perceptive when you said about you can fiddle with them. Like there is almost there is a real sense of play with them, right? And sometimes it's very easy in sometimes in really serious board games to forget that notion of that it is ultimately about play and yeah. and i think you know that that contributes to that kind of environment of you're playing and you get to do that thing that i think people forget about the value of theme in games that it actually does let you role play in this kind of very light way so um yeah. that you know maybe you're not it doesn't mean you're you're that doesn't mean that you're you're dressing up and you're talking like the characters would but you're still engaging with that idea of like you're kind of a little bit away in another another mental place where you are um, you kind of really feel like you are a property developer at that point, and you are buying up the plots of land you think are best, and then you're building a big building project. And when you place that building on the board on your land, you're just like, "Yeah, I built that. That's mine." There's something like very fundamental and satisfying about that. Um, and so that's kind of really what I, I, I wanted to, to really engender, I guess, with it. Knowing your history in terms of you making f- films. And going for the biggest one that you have, have you <laughs> yeah. had, have you had to put the reins on this and and kind of pull away some of the mechanics, the the functionality, the kind of the gameplay that's involved? I mean, did you when you first started this off, was it kind of like a four or five hour game, and then you had to say, right, okay, James, <laughs> let's step step back a bit, and let's um, you know, <laughs> let's kind of 
let's kind of pull this little, just a little, let's take a couple of these things. We don't have to buy the coffee for the people <laughs> that live in the houses. <laughs> it, it, yes, it was. I can tell you that the very first playtest of it, <laughs> the proper playtest we played, you are, you, you've seen right through me. You were spot on. Uh, I the just very, the, you just, you, you're so right. The first playtest we did was uh, an eight and a half hour game. Uh, the board was much bigger. And when I say much bigger, the board was two meters by 1.5 meters. And the tallest building, the skyscrapers you could build in that version of it, um, they were about a foot tall. Uh, so it was it was it was utterly it was it was utterly impractical. Like it was the most like um, absurdly impractical game, really. And I remember like there was like a player aid that came with it, which was which was like several sheets stapled together. And I just remember looking at my friend Rob and just seeing him just like the sheer distress on his face as he was rifling through all of this paper, desperate to work out what his next move was. And I was just like, and, I, and that was the first point it dawned on me. I'm thinking, I may have overcomplicated this a little. I might need an intervention <laughs> here. <laughs> um, so yeah, like uh, maybe slightly too cinematic a scale. Uh, the, the very early versions of the game, uh, um, very much. I, I did work from probably overcomplicated game, which I have over time really sort of chipped constantly bits off to simplify it and constantly trying to get down to the real core of what it's about, um, eliminating everything I can that is not part of that core, I guess, experience. Um, so yeah, that game has not only, it's shrunk physically in size by like a factor of what, seven or eight or something. Um, but at the same time, it's also shrunk in complexity really substantially as well. Um, and actually now I must admit, if I was designing another game, I think I probably would not take that approach i would i would have a better sense of what complicated and simple really are which i think most designers who played it especially if they play heavy games approach they're, they're way too optimistic about how complex their game is to begin with i think um i think a game can have a lot of moving parts as long as it um flows kind of mm -hmm. quite well yeah i think there's um there's complicated and simple and simplicity can be can be good bedfellows in board gaming mm. so for instance if i look at say dinosaur island mm. there's a game that when you look at all the different parts themselves it looks like um um it it, it looks like there's this is going to take ages to learn oh yeah but when you actually get down to it when you actually get used to playing it, it's a fairly kind of simple process following the mechanics that you need to do. And it's when everything comes together that it makes the kind of the overall complication and the kind of the AP kind of sets in. I mean, with that in mind, are you have you thought with it being a new with it being a new game that nobody's experienced, mm. is accessibility something that's important to you. And I don't mean, um, you know, people like us kind of accessibility, but I mean just the ability for somebody to be able to sit down and within 10 minutes grasp the concept of the game very, very quickly, oh, yeah. almost to the point that they can play. What 100%. I mean, I think that because I guess, in, in, you know, I, I realized quite early on that it had, once we'd moved past the giant magnate phase, I sort of realized it early on that it had this possibility to be something that could fit into that 
evergreen, relatively middle middleweight, middle market kind of niche. Um, I, I sort of thought that um, that was really critical. That it was something and, and fitted with it quite naturally. That it you know it, it uses concepts like you know you buy land, you build things on it. These these things that are very quite universal and pretty familiar to lots of people. Um, and conceptually, in terms of what the game's objectives are and what you're trying to do, I, I mean, the goal is really within minutes. That that's all pretty clear. Um, you know, the exact rules around how the round works, how some of the actions work, they're obviously going to take a little bit longer. But the but the the core of it, the core concept should be like you should be able to explain and someone totally get it within two minutes, in my view. And that's what that game that's what that game can do. Um because it, it has to be, I think, to be something which can fit into that kind of, could, can be a game like that. That could be that widely accessible game that people would choose to play with friends who are not even necessarily big board gamers because they, mm-hmm. they see it and they go, oh, this is a bit like Monopoly, right? And it's kind of like, yeah, it is kind of a bit like Monopoly, but it's gonna, it's a bit different yeah. for reasons. Uh, and that's why, in, on, uh, you know, when I was on an Unlucky Frog podcast, they, they were asking the question, you know, how do you feel about it being compared to Monopoly? And I'm like, oh, wow. I mean, if Magnate ended up being like, the main default people said when they said don't play monopoly play that wow i would be i would be uh over the moon um if you know if that happened so for that same reason like that i think the familiar concepts to, to get people to access and just get into it straight away is is a really critical almost vector for that to happen in terms of that kind of that kind of land grab or that can i mean is that just a case of let's focus on getting the thing done and getting it to kind of like kickstart or I mean in terms of say like the components because there are going to be a lot of components yeah is that something that you have explored in terms of the different types of components I mean did you look at cardboard before you looked at resin I mean have you looked at kind of like just tiles instead of like actual pieces I mean were these all things that you kind of kind of considered there were things that I definitely considered, and in fact, actually, already we're you know we're still reviewing. There was going to be some even more plastic in in the game where we would use those for, as they currently are for the the the, the counters that represent the the tenants, the people that actually move into your buildings. Um, and I decided that we, it may be that those become cardboard, for example, um, just in the final, as we get to the final production shaped version just because it, it it's relatively component heavy i mean it, it's a um it's a game that that is that requires a lot of components to make it work um however um the buildings have never really been in contention for doing any other way because to my mind if for all those reasons we've kind of already already explored those have to be really nice and they have to be three-dimensional and i don't and even though we are strongly considering doing a 2D version, just poten- potentially, um, because it mm. might give greater access um, to the campaign, I don't think it is the core product just because um, that tactile that tactile aspect of it and that table presence is like really critical to what it is, I think. Um, but however, every, yeah. on, on everything else, I think absolutely everything else component-wise, you have, sometimes have to make some tough decisions. Um, and you you can't afford you just can't afford as a self publisher to take everything has to be one hundred percent deluxe. Okay, fine. If your if your core pledge level is going to be over one hundred pounds, yeah, but not if it's going to be a price that that people feel like actually feel like oh wow that's actually really good value and is not a million miles away from what what a price would be of a retail product. Yeah, I think deluxe. I've seen deluxe, and I think um, 
it's a thin line for getting people to feel like they've got value by getting the deluxe version. Because mm. I think sometimes I've seen deluxe campaigns where the components are a definite improvement, but they're not actually adding an awful lot of value mm. to the game apart from really kind of blinging it up. And yeah. I think um, I think a luxury version has to be has to make you kind of look go look ooh this isn't ooh this isn't ah this looks absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Um, it's it's a yeah, difficult I- it's a difficult one. I see because. <sighs> I think Kickstarter is one of these things where people are kind of exploring different tricks in order to keep the kind of the funding yeah. going and also to increase the money. I think what I've seen and what I've seen come to pass, and I've seen now I think three campaigns in the space of kind of like very, very short period of time getting the cancelled notification when they funded. Um, yeah. And now one of them was with different circumstances, but the other ones were a case of, oh, we've decided to come back and, and kind of and make changes to it and things like that. Mm. And I think sometimes that they're, the kind of the deluxe version is a way of trying to balance up having a really low funding goal to try and get as many, as much money on the other side of the funding goal. And um, I don't agree with it, <laughs> I'll be honest. I Having run a Kickstarter now and having looking at just like, Sticking, I'm not being, I'm not being funny, but sticking kind of like a hundred things in an envelope and taking them down to the post office, it's like that's a chunk of change just to post things. To yeah, people. yeah. You know, yeah. and uh, I, you know, I think uh, yeah, it's kind of like one of these things. Is like, um, it's made me very, very mindful for these. Uh, I'm looking at some campaigns and I'm going, I've no idea how the hell you're going to do this, mate. Yeah. I've no idea unless you've got some kind of financial financial kind of backing behind you how you're actually going to get and you know and uh, I mean for someone like yourself have you been are you having to be are you going to verge on the line of being kind of like as realistic as you can in making sure I yeah, mean take I, it a certain you can't cut below a certain level otherwise you're having to have a I guess a discussion about finances <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's it's. I mean, it's not going to be a super low level funding goal because um, just because it's it's a reasonably expensive to produce product. Um, there's been some investment already for me. Uh, so, however, I think um, it's it's mentioning about having deliberately low funding goal. This is a really interesting problem. I think creators all have now because it, basically everyone knows that human nature is um, if a lot of people are piling onto something, more people want to pile onto it. So if you hit that funding goal in the first two, three days and you set, you can now proudly tell everyone you were funded in 48 hours, um, you can stick that label on your advertising and it just will be more successful. And you can move into things like using Facebook quite a lot, BGG ads, this kind of thing to drive your campaign success. So what I think people are doing is they're trying to square the circle by saying, all right, well, we'll make this bet that the funding goal is low enough that we can hit that target pretty quickly. But actually, the real number we need is actually somewhat north of that. And I think it is, it is a dangerous game to play. Um, but I, I, I get the pressure on them, on creators to do that. And it's, and when I, when we're currently working out what the finances for the Kickstarter campaign need to be. And we're, we're, we did, I did some early scoping stuff just to make sure we were creating something that was relatively realistic. And now we're getting into the really hardcore numbers. And it was, and it is difficult. And I and I can see why people end up doing that, and, and I'm trying to think up ways in a moment where we can um, 
we can manage that a bit. So something which I, I still want to kind of market test with people a little bit um, is whether or not how people will feel if we start off the buildings in resin and then, for example, move to plastic. Because we can produce resin buildings actually are, are not, it's not too bad because although they have quite high unit costs, they don't have very high setup costs. But if you want to go into plastic, you're talking about an outlay of minimum £15,000 just to buy your tooling before you're even in the realms of any other costs of any kind of the actual unit price of the game yeah i mean this comes back to what the point i was raising earlier about people telling their story on kickstarter is that i don't know if there's enough information out there about Mm. these things which isn't shared in kind of like closed groups and i think some people think that you know minis are i mean i see this all what did i see it i saw it quite recently somebody kind of moaning about standees and games and mm. saying well can you, you know i prefer it if you can you not just get minis and it, the answer was well but the answer <laughs> wasn't look mate look mate it's flipping 17 and a half thousand pounds for you to get your minis yeah all right yeah i i don't see these kind of conversations i don't know if it's a case of um i don't know if it's it could be commercially sensitive information obviously if somebody's looking and saying well i need to get i'm going to get 50 different minis made so that's going to be 15 grand for the tooling kind of thing and then people are going well where are you getting it from then oh so that's how much they're charging for kind of like to to kind of minis so i guess it's kind of like but you know it's kind of like commercially sensitive sensitive information um but i guess at the same time is it is it something that we should just be saying look we've not gone we've gone for standees because to get a bit of plastic for a standee, I can get them and they cost a fiver for a hundred, <laughs> you know, and I can get yeah. the actual standees printed and that's just part of the normal thicker. It's the thick cardstock that we have to use, cardboard that we have to use. And you get that and it's saving us an absolute fortune. In fact, yeah. we can give you five times the number of standees as you want for minis because it's never, ever going to cost us that amount of money kind of thing. Yeah. I was just wondering if why aren't we having these conversations? I, I guess it's this thing again. It's really, it's a really good question. I think it's partly, it's a few things. I think, you, I think you've hit the nail on the head on every single one of those, which is that it's one, it's what we talked about, about how campaigns are optimized now so that they, they just don't include anything that's extraneous. Uh, two, mm-hmm. I think it is a bit like people feel a bit commercially sensitive about it. They don't necessarily want to reveal what's going on behind the scenes. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, and, I, and I think that is a part of it. And, and I, but in the end, I wonder if that is quite counterproductive because people don't realize that your upfront costs for doing miniatures are so high because it's you're not even talking about the um even just the, the tooling costs i mean you've got the 3d sculptors i mean the, this is a this is a real skill designing and particularly like organic form miniatures are really it's, it's a it's a massive skill i mean even, i mean actually to be honest so are the people working on our buildings are really are skilled professionals um the yeah. same and, and also just uh, they give you an idea as well to produce those minute to I, i'm i'll be really honest I'm on the cost on this, on this one um the to produce the uh the 3d printed masters that we use to make the molds for our resin buildings which we've made in our prototypes um was 500 pounds for a set of one of each of the nine buildings. And that's because it had to be done to like ridiculously high quality, one micron resolution, like, yeah. Uh, but that's an outlay just for that. And then so it's been quite interesting. People have come to me and they've said, because 3D printing has gotten so much more popular, they say, oh, are you 3D printing the buildings? And I was like, well, <laughs> that price, um, not really. <laughs> you can't afford to do that more than, than, than once, really. 
Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, but again, I was like, when I heard that quote back, I was like, whoa, okay. Uh, well, but if we're going to take it to Essen and we're going to show the buildings off, we got to do it. So, so we, we, we took, we took that decision, even though it was quite a tough decision to, to take. Um, so there's loads of upfront costs in doing miniatures. And I think people just don't understand that the economics of that is, is why you yeah. have, that's why those games are the, are the price that they have to be and why they have to have big funding goals and all of those things. If, if they're being really honest about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're Simons of this world. Um, you know, yeah. a bit of they're I mean, doing it all the time. They're doing it all the time. So I guess they've got, is a, their tooling cost might be a little bit less, but not horrifically less. I mean, if they're getting folk like Studio McVeigh and to do, help with sculptures and stuff like that, then that's gonna that's gonna be adding a, a kind of a massive massive amount um, to the actual yeah. the end price. Um, yeah, for terms of yourself, yeah. for terms of yourself, have you decided on a pledge level what the kind of the entry level amount has been? Are you still having to play about with the figures in order to see where you are with things? We're still playing around with it. I would like to get the game out below £60 because yes. I think at that point, it's a point where hopefully a lot of people look at it and see, particularly when the new when the new graphic design is delivered and all the new artwork, people look at it and go, that seems very good value for that price. That's that's something I want, I want to do. Um, I want to make it at a cost level where that's sustainable for us as well because it focuses on the really core value, which is the buildings and not necessarily on, and that's not to say we're not going to do good quality on the, through, all the way through, but there's no need to be unnecessarily bling about it, right? To make it, unless, because I think you made a really great point when you said, um, you know, sometimes deluxe components just add bling. They don't really add to the feel of a game in the same way that like the tactile nature of a building does. So um, yeah. we want really nice quality components. Really, and I think it's worth really spending money on really good art and working with really good artists to do that. But you don't have to go completely deluxe and everything. Uh, and then probably what we'll also have is some kind of day one expansion. Because through this process of winnowing out and cutting down the game, towards the end of it, what we began to find was there were things that were genuinely brilliant that were that were great but they made that game the game just a little bit more complex and made it a product which would be less would be more problematic to get um as an as a gateway as more of a gateway type product so um what we're probably going to launch is a whole collection of those add-on elements as an expansion alongside the game and you know people who are probably a bit already more more kind of heavy gamers they've got big collections they're used to playing slightly more complex stuff will probably maybe want to play that kind of content straight away but mm -hmm. but that's something we'll do at the moment we may not be doing a deluxe edition at all just because i actually feel like i want to give everyone the best value with solid production quality i'm not i don't know in my head i'm not thinking as much that we can add to it that will be deluxified that would, that would yeah. make it worth it. I would rather we just had a really great core product that was already really, really nicely produced. And if you want more content that maybe adds a few extra extra additional buildings, additional rules, expansion material, let's put that in expansion and then you can buy both together as a discount. That's, that's probably what we're going to look to do um, on the campaign cool. as our approach. Cool. Um, I can only wish you best of luck with the entire campaign because the, as I say, the game is, um, is striking. You know, um, to me it was definitely, and it's something I, I you know, you, I want to to see kind of what it's about and, and what it's all like. If people listening along tonight want to um, find you on the great uh, 
interwebnets. Where can we find you on the interwebnets, Mr. Naylor? So you can visit the page where you can sign up for to get an alert on the Kickstarter at magnategame.com. Uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's one place to go. I would also just go to our BGG page. Um, I'm continuing to post more content, more stuff there as well. We've got a Facebook page. You can find us on Instagram at Magnate Board Game as well. Uh, and then people are obviously most welcome to follow my Twitter as well, uh, which is at Naylor James. Um, so all of those places we're, we're posting content about what we're up to. Um, and um, Cool. Well, we will make sure that we put all of the links in the show notes so that we've got notes to show. Um, if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, just go internets, search for We're Not Wizards. You will find us on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and our website, which is we'renotwizards.com and our blog, which is we'renotwizards.blogspot.com. And you can email us, which is magic at we'renotwizards.com. And you can find us on the various podcast catchers as well as YouTube uh, podcast catchers like your Stitcher and Speaker and Acast and Castbox and Spotify and Google Podcasts and everywhere like a horrible, disgusting <laughs> disease that probably should be eradicated very, very soon. Um, if you like what you've listened to tonight, you can do a couple of things. You can tell somebody else um, because there is nothing more joyful and also more scarier than all of a sudden seeing that somebody has downloaded... <laughs> a lot of episodes all at once that's quite scary um, so you can tell somebody um, if you like what you've listened to tonight the other thing you can do is if you go into Apple Podcasts um, you can drop us a subscription, you can drop us a rating you can drop us a review if you are going to do a rating or a review don't give us 10 stars because it makes us big headed um, don't give us 1 star because it makes us cry and I'm an ugly crier you know, I'm not, I've got a face for podcasting. Um, give us something in the middle, like a five, because it's average, which is a little bit average. But the person who's not been average tonight, it's rather wonderful, rather fantastic. Mr. James Naylor, thank you, sir, for coming on. Well, thank you very much. And once again, it really has been an absolute pleasure. I'm so glad. Um, there is only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, James? We are absolutely, we're we're no way wizards at all. In no way are we wizards. We are kind of like city architects and we're planners and we're building homes and we're building buildings and we're building skyscrapers. And, you know, it's all going to be absolutely fantastic. We're all going to make a fortune. And the other thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from James. Say goodbye, James. Goodbye. Goodbye, James. <laughs> and it's a goodbye. It's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll6s.com. And uh, yeah, just keep an eye on this bad boy because, uh, um, yeah, just, you know, cities. You haven't seen what I've seen and why I've seen. It's very beautiful indeed. Um, but until the next time, goodbye. Wizard is never late.
Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. 